All right, John, we're back again. How are you feeling about granola? <laughs> you mean my my rant about granola stuck in your stuck in your head since we uh, left? Yeah, yeah, I was concerned about you. Everything everything all right in the granola front these days? Yeah, I, I think it's worked out. And you know what? I've I've got some feedback after that first episode where I had my little granola rant. What yeah. you heard? A couple of people wanted to know what brand I was complaining about. And I was adopting the Charles Barkley mentality, which I've heard him talk about, which is no free pub, man. But you know what? I'll mention the brand. It was Cascadian Farms. And I'm telling you this as a way to invite them to come kind of maybe share their point of view about what went into the decisions they made to put less product into a crappier package and charge more money. They probably have a reason for it. And I would encourage them to join us and talk about it. Yeah, let's go nuts. Specifically, almonds. And you know, Brian, I think it'd be great if uh, anyone who hears this podcast would share with us a recommendation for an expert who can talk to us about either shrinkflation or skimpflation or both. I'd love to, I'd love to dedicate some time to that. Yeah, even having to market a product that maybe isn't necessarily moving its way forward the way that you'd want to. Yeah. So I'm sure, I'm sure people had good reasons for making their snap decisions about, you know, their products. Cause that's what this, that's what this podcast is all about, right? We're, we're here to give a little behind the scenes look at some of those decisions that define how products and brands and people present themselves to the world. And the people that are behind those big decisions. So I'm excited for our first big interview today. Nice. Can't wait to talk to Bill Bergefin. He's a huge Corolla fan, I heard. Yeah, yeah. Well, so before we talk to Bill, why don't we get into a quick snap decision? And yeah. what do you got for us? I got something for you, Brian. And I know you're a sports fan. So I've noticed, obviously, there's been a lot of these kind of alt casts, right? So where there's a main broadcast going on on one network, uh, sister network is carrying like the Manning brothers offering commentary during a football game. So there are some new wrinkles happening in that alt cast universe that I think have really, that really caught my attention. So at the end of the baseball season in September, the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, in Major League Baseball, faced the Los Angeles Angels at Tropicana Field. And fans had the option to watch that game as a real-time animation. So kind of looking like a video game. And then, starting in week four in the NFL, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Atlanta Falcons played a game in London, right? ABC, Disney ABC, recreated that game in real time and had it take place in Andy's room, that setting from the Toy Story franchise. So all the action played out on ESPN with Toy Story characters replacing actual players. So again, it was simultaneous, slight delay to the main telecast. You know, it just gave an entirely different lens to an existing NFL game. My take is that's probably going to be great for advertisers who are looking to try new things and experiment with you know, how they can stand out. Really a big part of this, you know, the leagues have a strong desire to expand their fan bases and streaming services who carry these broadcasts are looking to drive subscriptions. I do wonder if, you know, at some point there's some backlash where people were just like, I, I just want to watch the game. Don't, don't promote these alternative experiences. I just want to watch an actual football, baseball, basketball, whatever game. But it does seem like there's a lot of innovation happening there. So Brian, I, I want to ask you, are these entirely alternative viewing experiences a fad or are they actually the future of sports viewing? First of all, I can't help but think of being in that creative pitch for the Toy Story 
project. Yeah. You know, we've both been in, in that room and w- when the creative comes up with a fantastic idea and gets shot down immediately. But, but this time they said, yes. Yeah. And, they go for it. And then he's like, wait, what? Now we actually have to do this. We, but, we, have uh, to, we have to animate an entire NFL game in real time. <laughs> in Toy Story. So, uh, kudos to that guy. Um, Poor guy. And that, uh, was kind of a really neat and innovative way to, um, create an experience. Uh, you know, my take on this is that we're going to see more and more of, of this type of experience kind of flex into, into watching sports. And as a marketer, I think that's exciting because people like to do things in a lot of different ways. And you have these different kinds of segments of audiences, whether it's kids and toy story or the Nickelodeon stream. Mm, with and, the slime, have, the slime broadcasts. Yeah. 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 And that, and some of that, they do like some more fundamental stuff and teaching people how to watch the game and what it, like what it, what the rules are and things like that. And then you have more of the kids in their 20s or teenagers who might watch more of the alternative broadcasts, which to me kind of reminds me of kids watching other people play video games. Um, so people definitely interact with content in different ways. Uh, the one place that I kind of get hung up is like, yes, it gets people to, to watch and that will bring eyeballs, but like does that convert somebody into becoming a real fan and yeah. really paying attention to what's going on instead of just kind of being part of an environment? That part I don't know about. I mean, those alt casts do have sort of like a, a some sort of semblance of gathering people together to watch something, which is kind of like, you know, us getting together with our buddies to watch a game. But I don't know if that converts people to long-term, you know, viewers or fans, but um, it's certainly Maybe. something different, you know? Yeah. You know, you touched on a couple things there. One, you know, the Nickelodeon examples, I think are really good one. Cause like you said, it, it kind of brought people along and educated them on something that maybe they don't really know quote how to watch. So that does seem like a really smart strategy to kind of bring new viewers in, whether they stick is a different question. I also, as you were talking, I wondered, man, wh- what about some of these, I mean, some of these players, many of these players becoming kind of brands unto themselves. Yeah within the game and at some point if there's certain this is an alternative rendering of a player do they start to get pissed off that hey wait no they're they, people are coming to watch me don't create an animated version of me it doesn't look like me you know i i, I wonder if that's a thing sometime down the road yeah we'll i mean i think this can go in a, in a million different directions and it kind of already is but I do see more of like the opportunity to kind of flex the experience with the type of layering and context that, that somebody wants, whether that's through like some sort of augmented reality or VR or, or whatever. It's kind of boundless. So yeah. I guess that's exciting, but yeah. we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Lots, lots of implications uh, to unfold. And I don't think we've seen kind of the ultimate best use case for some of these alternative things, but um I'm sure we'll see plenty more of it before we're done. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of getting fans interested in sporting events, I'm just super pumped about speaking with our first ever Snap Decisions guest. Woohoo! Yeah. And he created the original character of Ted Lasso in, in a series of commercials to get visibility on soccer in the United States when uh, NBC got the, the rights to the Premier League about a decade ago. A-team, I coach. They're going to play hard for all four quarters. Okay? Two halves. What's that? Two halves. Okay, halves. We're going to play hard for two halves. And we're going to play till there's a winner and there's or a loser. A tie. What's that? A tie. Okay, till there's a winner, a loser, or a tie. You can tie. If you tried to end a, a game in a tie in the United States, heck, that might be listed in Revelations as the cause for the apocalypse. Yeah, do we have any goals this season? Absolutely. We're going to win a lot of games. We're going to get in the playoffs. No playoffs. There's no playoffs. 
Again, my job just got a lot easier. Ties and no playoffs. If you watch Ted Lasso, the TV show starring Jason Sudeikis, that clip probably sounds a lot like the first episode. But it was created six years before the show premiered on Apple+. And it was part of the campaign you mentioned, which launched a whole new sports viewing opportunity to Americans. Brian, our guest today is the guy behind that campaign. He spent his whole career marketing sports, and he's really transformed which sports people watch and how they watch them. Bill Bergefin is a senior marketing executive who did something I didn't think was going to be possible in this country. He got millions of people to watch soccer. Footnote, not including me. Yes, a huge part of that was the Ted Lasso campaign for NBC Sports, but Bill has won a lot of awards to prove that he's no one-hit wonder. The Grand Prix Award at the Cannes International Festival for Creativity, Emmys, Promax Awards, D&D Pencils, Clios, and most importantly, Effies for marketing effectiveness, including a Grand Effie nomination for the success of that Premier League campaign featuring Ted Lasso. He's done it at Fox Sports, NBC Sports, and Telemundo Deportes. He's currently head of marketing and creative for the Yes Network. That's the Yankees Entertainment and Sports Network, which was a pioneer in the concept of regional sports networks. Please say hello to Bill Bergefin. Hello, hello, Bill. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. Yeah, indeed. Bill, really, really grateful that you're able to join us. Yeah, Bill, you know, we've been talking about some of the unique and creative ways that brands and networks are trying to reach people and audiences during live events, during these like tentpole events. And it's not just getting them to tune in, but it's getting them to stay. And there's so much noise and content out there. How has that impacted your job and how you engage audiences while they're watching and, and overall? Yeah, it's a, it, it's a great question, an amazing challenge that, you know, goes well, well beyond marketing content for that matter. I think that the, the tried and true salts we're storytellers, we're, we're creating content. Our job is to get people interested. I think the approach that I've taken has always been one on a cultural level, right? So, so many people love sports. You know, we're very, I've been very fortunate to have a product that people care greatly about and a lot of marketers start their careers selling kitty litter but I, I fortunately didn't didn't have to go through the the pain and suffering of that i've always felt like incredible storytelling will beget greater interest and a lot of it is is finding those points of being relatable without tripping that bs third rail um which i think a lot of advertising and promotion does it's just you know it's either straight at it okay if i'm a sports fan i know i already want to watch this particular game but how do you, how do you change perceptions? And so there, you know, the other piece is, is, is technology. Do you think it's going to continue to integrate itself into the traditional broadcast or do you think it'll stay kind of adjacent? Like when I want it, I'll get it. Or, you know, do you see that stuff just kind of coming together even more? No, I think, I think it's going to come together more and more with the landscape changing when you have people like Amazon and Apple going after global rights of sports. I mean, they're tech companies. They're just going to reinvent the way people watch it because they're not looking through that traditional lens of the broadcast television, trying to figure out new ways to do what they've been doing one way forever. You've got to deepen that engagement, right? If you go to an actual game, most people are sitting on their phones. What app are they pulling up? Well, boy, yeah. would it be great if the first app that they open up is the Yes app? Those are some of the things that we're working with our partners on. And to me, you know, that, that level of utility and an added experience will make people who are not just users of your product, but fans of your product. Hey, Bill, you've, you've really had a fascinating career path and we won't ask you to kind of walk through all of it, but you started in sports, you're still in sports. Because this podcast is really focused on 
decisions that people have made in their career. Was there a pivotal moment in your career development where you kind of were really at a crossroad? You had to kind of pick uh, a path from two divergent directions? Actually, there's there's one really interesting fork in the road. We've all had them and and you have decisions to make and they they alter the course of history, hopefully for the better. Mine was, I, I had very early success, went from Madison Square Garden to a sports marketing firm, we're working in the Olympics and World Cup. And, and then I said, I'm either going to go back to school or I want to work in a league. Well, I got, I got in, I got a job at the NFL. I did not go to an Ivy League school and felt, felt very fortunate, certainly earned my way there. After a few years, I have like this kind of like three to four year itch in my career that, that I, you know, feel like I have to dump everything out and start over again. They always said like, you have one shot to leverage that shield to advance your career. And I really wanted to get into television. And I had two offers roughly about the same time. One was at ABC Sports to be first marketing manager of the now defunct BCS. I killed many things in my career even before I got to work on it, if at all. <laughs> and the other was to go launch Fox Sports Net Detroit. And for any of you who have met me, it was like my cousin Vinny. And I, I, I chose to go to Detroit and everyone thought I was nuts as opposed to walking down the street to 66 yeah. West 77th Street in ABC Sports' office at the time. And my rationale for doing so was, there were two pieces to that. One is I'd rather be the big fish in a small pond, get that experience and then be able to parlay it. The other was the guy who was hiring me was, yeah, I'd be reporting to corporate to Fox Sports. He said, look, you do a great job and the next job at corporate's yours for growing rapidly. I said, how do I know I can trust you? And he said, you're not betting on me, buddy boy. You're betting on you. All right. So, so got you moved to not go with the uh, the big name brand job, but to something unexpected and paid off for you. Yeah, I, I would say. Look, I mean, Fox was still an amazing brand, and I think they were innovators at the time. So to get you know be able to go out and go to L.A. and be around them, you know, just even the osmosis of some of the most incredibly talented and creative people in the industry was just phenomenal. I just saw the other day. Uh, it's 30 years since they got the NFL rights, which is insane. Yeah. Makes me feel old. You know, Fox was on the forefront of a lot of the modern marketing stuff. So that, that's uh, that's a fascinating move. How long did it take you to get to corporate? 15 months. Really? Yes. So yeah, we were, we got up there. We didn't unpack everything that we brought because we knew either this was going to happen quick or we'd be putting the cash back in the... Some people, some people just, you know, move across the country from New York to LA. Some people kind of stop midway for 15 months. <laughs> Everyone always jokes about the flyover states. Well, you know what? Most of America live in between, uh, you know, the two beaches. So um, I, I found an invaluable experience about how to market to all different types of people. Yeah. I'm going to hold on to your, uh, my cousin Vinny reference, because I, I think that kind of paints the picture for us. <laughs> there were a lot of Utes there. Yeah. <laughs> Did you say Utes? Another interesting decision you made was to go to an agency after that. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what some of the big learnings from that was? Fox was really where I kind of made that leap over to advertising. And working with the people who were there were all the people who created the This Is Sports Center campaign. And our agency was Cliff Freeman of Partners. And all the people there were the people who created, worked at all the Nike work and, and ESPN work at, at, uh, you know, at Widen. So, I, you know, all of a sudden I'm thrust into these brains and, and creativity and strategy and things that just like my head exploded. And I found that most of the people I really respected and, and, uh, you know, enjoyed working with were, were our agency partners and we were doing like just crazy work and just groundbreaking stuff. And again, was out there for about four or five years. We had our daughter and kind of felt the pull back East and 
thought, well, you know, let me, let me, uh, let me give something else a shot here. And, and ironically, I was sort of like, maybe it's time to dip out of sports for a minute. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you, 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 you've shared a couple instances where you haven't been afraid to kind of make a big shift or, or, you know, jump into something different and new. And one of the things that uh, Brian observed when we were getting ready for you was uh, the fact that you helped create a whole new sports day park with soccer when NBC Sports brought the Premier League to the network. And you did it by introducing the world to a character and a couple of long form promos named Ted Lasso. Can you tell us about the strategy you started with before we get into how Ted Lasso, the, the creative output came to pass? Well, what is the creative strategy to launch that new day park? Well, I, I think there are a few things at play here and it goes back to risk taking. If you remember, these rights were acquired right after after the merger when Comcast acquired NBC Universal and I got a new boss. So I had to convince a guy that John, we both know well, John Miller, that that I can take this and that we should, shouldn't just, oh, we got this, we can do this and that the promo department at NBC Sports could handle this. And so first thing strategically I did was put the right people around the, the right problem. I brought in a guy who actually was an agency that I worked with for a long time already, who said, if you ever get the Premier League, I will do it for free. Did you catch uh, that? Yeah. Uh, exactly. He did not do it. Right. But, uh, he, he was a, a Brit that came over to America about 20 years earlier, you know, for his adult career. And so he was a premier league fan living in America. So who better? And, and a, you know, one of the great, great creatives on the planet and strategists. So the strategy, that was the first step and having to sell that in, which is a very funny story in of itself. Um, but ultimately the strategy was a few fold. One was how do we create a tipping point through one, the existing audience was there because they were maniacal and ardent and influential and affluent and a lot of those fun marketing words we used. So we had to find them and be able to really activate that core. Two was if they're leaders, then all their friends who see them go off and get plowed on Saturday mornings uh, in their kits and then, you know, somehow manage to find their way to their own kid's soccer game, you know, bring them along for the ride and pull them in and make it okay for them to come in. And the last thing was literally the last thing was, all right, why should people give a shit about it? And what's, how do we get them over the, the barrier of, I don't know what I'm supposed to be watching right? and, and how to watch this. And it's okay not to know, which is, that's a universal theme, right? And, and that had to have been a, a big hurdle to get over because that's the only way you're going to get to a mass audience. Correct. But we actually started like surgically. So the first thing was, is that real Premier League fans, we were able to find five markets where they were just way over indexed in terms of concentration. So we could afford to go in with the limited dollars that we had. Second is the first campaign was around the Britishness of it all. Well, really the first part of the campaign was that, that with getting to the people every match, every weekend, online, on TV, in HD, free, right? Because they've never had that before. Second thing was, okay, how do we make people look pure around the corner? Because at the time it was Downton Abbey and all these uh, Peaky Blinders and Britain. Mm -hmm culture was just, you know, permeating. So, you know, we tried to really kind of play up the whole Britishness of it, which I think there was just a smart cultural shift. And then the last piece was, okay, how do we get, how do we take the piss out of ourselves and that we're stupid American? because we don't understand soccer and the rest of the world, it seems to have figured it out. Uh -huh. And that, that was literally the last piece of the pie was, was Ted Lasso. And matter of fact, it, of all of them, that was the one piece that almost didn't happen about four times for for different reasons. It just was a journey to get that thing made, but the gods were, were kind to us. They sure were. And on that last part, you know, the, the taking the piss out of yourselves to use a British phrase, you found a character or you created a character that let people 
learn about this game that they didn't know enough about and gave them permission to be, I guess, as ignorant as Ted Lasso and come in cold and figure it out. Can you tell us a little more about the kind of like the creative strategy of how you kind of got to that point where you had this character that was going to deliver all the all the messages you need to deliver to that that mass audience? I think this is also one where a little bit of chaos theory uh, mixed with fate because we we set out with that strategy, but we actually were, and we were going to go with a fish out of water character, but we actually started trying to bring a Brit over to America, which I'm not sure would have worked, mm. but we started there. We went to John Oliver first, <laughs> um, and he couldn't do it because he was on Comedy Central at that point. And they said, we well, can't, he would love to do this, but he's got something big coming. We can't tell you what it is. Yeah. And then now you have his HBO yeah. show, which I then we're like, all right, well, let's let's see if there's someone in NBC because we're really trying to make an SNL digital short. So you want to talk about branding. We're trying to keep this also in the NBC brand wheelhouse. So we went to Seth Meyers uh, at the time, and he was SNL, and he was a big West Ham fan. You know, we did who's you know who who's out there who's a Premier League fan. He'd love to do it, but he's got something big coming up, and we can't tell you where it is. Okay, so now who's next? I think we went, we thought. So you're about good reading. at spotting future talk show hosts. Well, us. well, the weird fatalistic thing as I go through it is, like everyone we approached, like had this huge hit come out of it. Now, did we have anything to do with anything of the ones before? No, it was probably dumb luck that those were those people were unavailable. Otherwise, we would have probably never gotten to Jason Sudeikis, who was fifth. So there was Chris Pratt in their Jurassic World, but we were like toggling between you know someone coming here, someone going there. And we're just sort of like out of, out of time, out of like, ugh, okay, this is the greatest idea, but who, and, and we literally had a talent wrangler in, or guy and, and the Brooklyn brothers, Guy Barnett, who's the creative I've mentioned before, I'm going to mention his name. We had a talent wrangler who was approaching people in Hollywood, you know, when we said, hey, let's go after them, let's get you hire talent wrangler. She, uh, this woman, Ju Julie Mulholland just said, hey, what do you think about Jason Sudeikis? He's off of, I know he's off of SNL and he doesn't seem to have anything in the in the hopper right this second and she had been free to his manager i guess that's how she knew it so we said all right sure and we you know we we approached him he came back and he had no he was not a soccer fan at all it didn't really matter but he just came back and said and it was i i'm pretty sure the character at that point was like named ted lasso we had i have the original script which is record it's it's almost i, I you know other than some ad lib is pretty intact uh because it was so designed to accomplish a goal. Um, but he came back and said, you know, can I see a few more ideas? I like the idea of this. So guy went and created a few more characters and things. And then he said, man, we'll stick with the original. And then wow. we, we got, we got to a writer's room with him and Brendan, uh, who's coach beard. And I, for me, this was like amazing to be involved in, in, in the creative soup of all of this. Oh, yeah. so you were in that writer's, writer's room? Uh, to a degree. I mean, I, I, I will, I mean, I certainly had everything to do with scripts, edits, Certainly, we got to post. Um, it's fascinating know. to me that, that you just said that, that the original script was, you basically produced what was basically the original script. I've heard you talk previously about, you know, how amazing Sudeikis was at improv doing the character, yet the original script kind of survived. Testament for Guy was keeping keeping the train on the tracks, where, where, where Jason was amazing at improv and delivery in each of these buckets that we wanted to like, okay, teach him off sides. If you go back there and watch the original, how it's structured is we went and shot these vignettes and then went back and sat him down to explain each one of them as they went along. Got it. it was it was you know structured in a, in a in a really interesting way to accomplish that and 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 then from there you know 
we got him to agree to do it. And then we, it was like June and the season was starting in August and all the Premier League clubs were all traveling to do friendlies around the world. So, you know, getting a, getting a club to find a team that was even in town to shoot with was, was a challenge. Let alone so you, wanted to, you wanted to depict Ted with an actual known team with players that people would recognize and credibility. Correct. Otherwise, yeah, I think it would have fallen down. Someone would have done it. I mean, there are others who would have taken that path of we've got a cool idea, we've got a good talent, uh, let's just fake the rest. Uh, so, you know, I think credit to you and the team for recognizing that authenticity would carry the day. I woke up on like a, 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 a Sunday morning, I remember, and in, in the deadline had been last Thursday for go, no go. And I just was not ready to give up. I had been working with Tottenham, as a matter of fact, Guy's favorite team. He, he was a Tottenham fan. So John Miller, who was... My boss said, you can use any club other than Tottenham because you've put them in everything so far because of <laughs> great. Thanks. And so I called Tottenham literally on the Sunday. I called their, their press guy. I became, I became friendly with, um, and said, is your first squad around on, uh, you know, the couple next couple of weeks? He's like, yeah, sure. I'm like, all right, book them Dano. So I had to go once again, convince, uh, that we, we were, you know, it would be like, you know, creating an NFL launch campaign and only doing it with the, the the giants or right. eagles which would be case. a terrible terrible idea i think that would be i i that's why i i upped it i upped it to eagles but uh there you go so what was the reaction at nbc when they saw the first set of commercials i don't know that anyone saw it other than me and my boss john miller i, I it's amazing i had such amazing trust and latitude now uh, you know it was a few months into to working together we had my the head of social media like waiting at one o'clock in the morning to put this thing organically on YouTube. And we just, we just lobbed it out there, no money behind it, nothing. And then went to sleep and woke up and we woke up, there's already a million hits on it. And in 2012, a million hits in less than 24 hours on YouTube was, was not a common occurrence as it is today. But you just used the words trust and latitude and some of the reasons you were able to get that campaign produced and in market, I think that is an amazing commentary because it, you know, the best things I've ever produced came when I had trust and latitude. And with that, underneath that is fewer people making big decisions. So has that been sort of a, a consistent thing in your career where some of your best work has come when you've got that? Oh, absolutely. But I think one of the things that I've, I've learned over time is how, how do you navigate around that too? Because you're not always going to have it. Bosses right. change, job, new yep. career moments. So how do you take the formula that you've made work in one place and that's earned you that trust and latitude and, and, and effectively sell it in, sometimes unbeknownst to the people you're selling it in on, yeah. to allow you to do things. So have you figured that out? How, how did you sandbag that code for us? Sandbag, scare them with something else and then bring in, you know, you got to have the, the what do they call it? The stalking horse, the uh, straw. The straw dogs. Oh, wow. I mean, there's, there's a so good crap and then save it with the thing you really want to sell. Well, you got to be ready to whatever you put in front of anyone. That's the, the, the catch 22 is, uh, if you put something out, you know, not everyone has the same sensibility you do, but if you're going to put something out there for approval, you better be ready to run it. Look, you have a marketing strategy for what it is you're trying to sell to 
consumers, shouldn't you have a marketing strategy to sell what you're trying to get done internally as well? Because again, not everyone's going to be expert marketers. Not everybody's going to see it the way you see it. So that starts months and months in advance. So when you begin the briefing process internally, that part of that process is briefing in and getting consensus among the people who you need their support. Yeah. And I love the, uh, you know, the part about it, it's okay to not be the smartest guy about soccer, you know, because you're leaning into an angle that's going to drive more people to watch it and it's okay to watch it. And I'm sure that kind of resonated with them as well. Just, you know, we're focused on trying to bring more people in who are the traditional people. You know, we have them covered too. We're not going to push them away, but we're going to open it up to be a bigger thing. Right. Well, I think that's the other thing is also setting a bar that's like ridiculous. Right. And, and let, let people like kind of look at you like you're crazy. For me, what I said is, look, at the time, MLS really hadn't established itself yet as, as far as it certainly has today. Premier League, regardless, I think is the best league play. And it's the football for the rest of the world. So I said, how do we make Premier League, the NFL of real football in the United States? And people look like, well, we have Sunday night football. I said, well, we're going to have Saturday morning football. Actually, I tried to sell in the name of that and I couldn't because of literally licensing rights for ownership for Sunday night football. They weren't comfortable bumping up against it. Actually, ESPN owns that term, by the way. That would have been fantastic. I try to sell it through. They just went, that, that's one where, you know, you jump out and you take these risks. But the whole idea of aiming that high, I think, gave us the latitude to, to dream big. You sure did. And it, it paid off. Hearing you talk about the the, the process of getting the, the Ted Lasso campaign off the ground. You mentioned Jason Tudakis was choice. I don't know if he knows that, but he does now. We send him this recording. Uh can you imagine someone else who was higher up on your list inhabiting the body of Ted Lasso at this point? Well, I, I don't know that that was each each had a character that was crafted to them. So there I wouldn't see. have been there wouldn't have been he was Ted Lasso. That was the character. So you had uh, you had entirely different campaign directions for the other talent. Correct. And I can't find those scripts anywhere. God, oh. God save me. But <laughs> um uh so it'll have to remain in oral history. You know? Right now, somebody at NBC is scrambling through the servers to find those scripts to <laughs> actually do a, a relaunch of the Premier League for the next exactly. season using exactly. Chris Pratt or uh, John Oliver. What a what a like merging of you know the marketing side, the agency side, and then the creative talent that Sadekis brought, and you know putting all those things together and and the product. Yeah, and that could go in a lot of different directions. And um, I know, you know, you ended up staying pretty close to the script, but I'm sure just the everybody's pointing in the, in the same direction was uh, must have been extremely gratifying. It, it was. And I think also there's a, a, a bigger, again, resources runway is we actually had three agencies. So Guy was sort of the, you know, the epicenter with me, but we also had a sort of a, a, a stunts events you know, uh, the SWAT team agency. And then we had our media agency. And from the outset, I got everybody at the table and I said, everybody, you know, I think we all went out for, for, for pipe. And I said, let's just drop all pretense here. Um, you know, this it's, it's all our idea. It's all our success or it's all our failure. So everybody's got to depend on everyone else because the media that we put in those five cities or taking over bars in those cities or, you know, the, Stunts of guy, yeah, you know, guy came up with the idea of like, let's get old English cabs and take fans to matches. And the the next agency had to execute against it. Or if that agency came up with an idea, a guy had to do the creative for it. Or the media agency had to purchase the, the space or whatever it may be. Um, and and we're able to get three pretty significant agencies to 
play together in the sandbox incredibly well. I think marshaling resources has always been one thing that I, I whether it be internal or, or external, both optimally, I think a big key to success because you, you can't do it yourself. When did you have a good sense on the character of Ted Lasso has more legs than just the, these commercials? Uh, right away. Um, I'm also a big fan of using YouTube and, and other social media as your real-time focus group. I mean, people right away were going, when's the show coming out? But literally yeah. back in 2014, I had the show greenlit and I, I, I go back and here's where it's like dreaming big. I, I was like a slave to being a company guy. I said, can we get 10 o'clock on Thursday nights and we're going to do this show and we're going to, our, our sports center is going to become comedy show. Like our list, you think about HBO and mm -hmm. There's a bunch of, you know, shows, or let's go back, but there's you know, a bunch of sports themed shows, not many before. I just thought this would, this would be such a huge win. Um, got a green lit, went to Mark Lazarus. I, I learned how to green light a show and spoke, went to meet people at Universal Television in both the US and UK, um, ended up getting BBC to basically pay for it. And they were going to put it on their BBC player, which was their new OTT streaming back in 2014. They were going to pay the entire production. And everything was going to be gravy. This thing was going to make money. And, you know, for personal reasons, and Jason, I think, says it in some articles that he just, he got distracted with other things. He had a married and had a son and had other things going on. And this was always just a passion project for him. And it kind of put, he put it on the shelf. We literally had meetings in London with a woman named Sharon Horgan, who I've made remember her from Contagion. Yeah. And she was going to be the showrunner. We literally had all the pieces together. And like many of these things do, most never go to air. They're most fizzle. Or barely make it. We had a pilot. We didn't even need a pilot. We had the pilot. Um, so we were ready to go and it just kind of fell off. And then it wasn't again until 2017. And when I left, I was eventually told like, okay, Bill, put it down. Um, Jason's people were always like, this should be really be on Netflix. But I was holding on to the IP. We owned the name. And uh, maybe I shouldn't have held on so tightly. So, you know, for that long. Um, but ultimately, when I, when I was told to put it down, I put it in the hands of Universal Television, ultimately um, then, you know, got licensed to, and then I left NBC Sports. So I was sort of now one step removed, but still worked with it because I was at still in NBC Universal. And ultimately they did a co-production deal with Warner Brothers and Apple TV. So, yeah, Bill, I have to ask, is seeing it become such a successful show and really a kind of a cultural phenomenon during COVID. Is that hard to watch something that you kind of gave birth to turn into something that's such a phenomenon? Well, there are two, two different kinds of watch. Watch it happen is amazing. The only thing is most people focus on the money and boy, sure, it would have been great. I mean, NBC Sports made a ton of money off of just the licensing use of the name. I don't know what economics were in terms of any anything on the co-production. They may have just licensed away the name for all I know. I never really found that part out. It was like, aren't you so mad that you didn't make your bazillions of dollars? First of all, most people never make money on their first Yeah, thing. I wasn't thinking about the money. I was thinking more about the, you know, the professional. Oh, I, that, the, the watch this turn into that. I mean, think about, right, this is ego notwithstanding. I changed consumption of an entire sport in America and, and made something so much more important to people because we all know the value that sports brings to all of our lives. 
I then, when a global pandemic hit, was was the the you know father in some way, shape, or form of something that gave people hope globally. That's pretty. That's pretty big. Uh, I love that. Would I love to have made a couple more shekels off it here or there, whatever? Really, I. Director Poffitt was pretty kind to me during those days. So I'll tell you the coolest thing, and, and people call bullshit on me on this, but I was skiing with my daughter at Park City. We're on the shuttle back to the hotel and full bus full of people and doors closed. My daughter was like 15 at the time. And the driver goes, hey, is anyone watching this Ted Lasso? <laughs> and everybody starts, ah, ah, ah. and my daughter just looks at me and the look in her eyes and she goes, dad, tell them, tell them. And I'm like, eh, it's okay. I just got everything I needed out of this. Nice. Well, you, got awesome. your daughter's, you got your daughter's pride and endorsement for sure. Yes. Take it. Well, fantastic. I love that you appreciate the double bump you got there, right? You got to do something amazing in terms of transforming the way people consume a sport yep. um, and you know, contributed to something that really kind of made people feel a little better in a crappy time. So thanks for that on behalf of the world. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Yes, it was a... Uh, it- Yes, very, very cool thing. And it's great to, you know, have in, in, you know, in a chapter in the book in my brain. Is there anything that, that you haven't shared about that whole Ted Lasso origin story that you, you could tell us some kind of behind the scenes thing that you found most fascinating or shocking or horrifying? Part of his uh, remuneration, his compensation was, hey, I get a trip for me and my buddies to London for a weekend first class to go watch football. So because we were definitely not paying him what he's used to earning at first time we did this. So we said, sure. Um, I started talking to his manager and he's like, hey, we want to book that trip. And I said, when do you want to do it? He goes, what are you afraid? And I said, I said, I didn't blink. I said, well, you tell me. I'll I'll find I'll, I'll make myself ready. So we went out for a weekend. It was me, Jason, his manager, Coach Beard, and his writer, Joe Kelly, who remained attached to the writing of the show with, with Bill Lawrence. Um, you know, went for a weekend in London. So I figured one of three eventualities are going to happen. One, we get there and they're like, they just dust me. All right, yeah. bye, Bill. Thanks. <laughs> um, second is I'm going to be let into this world of uh, celebrity where we're just out, just just killing it. Right. Um, and third is these are just a bunch of geeky guys who just sit around and play board games like uh, the Hanson brothers. Um, which one do you think happened? Four, you became yeah. lifelong best friends with Jason. Uh, was it three? It was three. Really? Now, that's not to say we went out for nice dinners. Sure. What's also interesting is Jason actually kind of reveled at that point is nobody knew who he was. He could walk freely and People were, you know, one, once in a blue moon, someone stopped. There was no SNL over in uh, in, in the UK. So, um, you know, we went out for some nice dinners, but by and large, we're back at the hotel playing board games. Glad you so, had that experience. Yeah. Sounds like you, were, sounds like you worked for it. I, yeah, I feel like I heard that. <laughs> so that's a, a great story of a campaign that, that really made out well. Can you tell us one that um, you feel like didn't hit over the way that you expected it or... Um, you know, no regrets, but you know, what, what do you think was, you know, your biggest miss on one? Well, um, I don't have misses. No. Awesome. <laughs> um, well, I will say, fortunately, these, you know, there's nothing that was like a, a, a tank. There's some ones that sort of never made it to air because they were a little too over the edge. And, yeah. you know, if this ever sees the light of day, someone's getting fired. Um, there were those moments we had one with, uh, um, Mike. Tyson babysitting for John Crook. I don't know how I'd talk <laughs> his Wait. agent into letting us. What? Yes. 
this after he got out of jail. I mean, it, please it's, tell me there's film of this somewhere. Uh, the spot exists. Uh, if you Google at Fox Sports, it was for the best damn sports show. Uh-huh. And um, uh, yeah, it just, uh, it was one where they said if this thing airs, someone's going Another one was uh, a, a, a print ad that um, it was, I, I, I feel almost guilty because it was almost like pulling the wool over, but it was one of these distribution battle things with cable companies. And we came up with an ad that said, um, hey, sports fans, your package is about to get smaller. And it was a picture of a jock strap. I will leave out the name of the the distributor, but ads shipped. They were approved. I, I just don't think I won't take it. I don't think people realized really what the subtext was when when it was approved. And then someone caught on to it later. Hard to miss. I didn't hide it. Like there was one even even the campaign I'm doing right now, there's like one little line in there that was a little subversive. Um, and my, my current boss said, take the line out. You can keep the shot in, but you got to take the line out. He goes, I love that rascal in you, you know? So I was like, you put it out there if, you know, so I'm willing, again, willing to take creative risks as well. Well, Bill, you've been real generous with time and we're super grateful. We really appreciate all this time. It's really fantastic. That's a great conversation. Thank you so much. Awesome. Awesome stuff from Bill. What an interesting career. Yeah. I mean, he's done so many things. He's not been afraid to to take big swings and uh, and the right risks and, and how to kind of manage an organization to be able to, um, you know, take leaps and bounds and, and really just kind of keep everybody aligned and, and build that trust in an organization. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really impressive lessons about how to sell stuff in there. I also was just shocked to hear the the that was news to me that uh Jason Sudeikis as Ted Lasso was not the first or second or even third choice for that campaign to launch the Premier League. Yeah, that was that was that was interesting to find out. Yeah. I, I hope I hope this isn't how Jason Sudeikis is finding that out. <laughs> nice. He's probably well, uh, listening after all. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well and if he's not, maybe he's our next uh participant in dear hopelessly unattainable guest oh that's well that can be maybe your next dear hopelessly unattainable guest but it's my turn okay what do you got all right so are you ready here is my pitch to our next hopelessly unattainable guest while we're waiting on tim cook what what do you got okay oh wait i forgot to tell you uh tim called he's not free uh all right here we go dear taylor swift hold for applause it is with great pleasure I invite you to join me and my co-host Brian Marks on Snap Decisions, the podcast I'm sure you've already heard about. On your way to being music's biggest star and a cultural icon, you surely face some huge forks in the road where your own snap decisions change the trajectory of your career. Your decision to pursue the pop genre over country, buying back the rights to your master recordings and then reinventing your own work, boldly standing up for others who don't always have such a big voice, and even your decision to not invest in FTX when other celebrities were happily accepting huge endorsement deals before that company crashed and burned. Just like you, Brian and I grew up in the Philly area, and you and I go way back to the time when I saw your 17-year-old self performing at a corporate gig. You're a young woman with a giant steel guitar playing to a small group of corporate types on a side stage while the masses were waiting for the holiday husk of Creedence Clearwater Revival to play. I was the guy standing about 10 rows to your left, wearing jeans, a blue button-down shirt, and a blazer. Sure, you're probably considering an appearance on Travis and Jason Kelsey's New Heights podcast. But that's too obvious and too expected. Make the bold decision 
and join Snap Decisions. Yours truly, John Young and Brian Marks, the Snap Decisions team. What do you think? We got a chance? Wow, I think we got a chance. You know, I want to see, <laughs> I want to get Taylor's version of things. Uh, <laughs> you, you don't think she remembers me? I. You have a little too much detail in there from from that moment. <laughs> from that many years ago. Yeah, I have no idea what I was wearing, but that's a pretty safe guess. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, hey, that's what this is all about. Let's let's take out the big bats and and go for it. Let's like, see. Uh, like let's see if said. we can edge out the Kelseys. Exactly. Like you said, moonshots, baby, moonshots. Oh yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap this thing up. Let's do it. How do we How do we wrap? You say goodbye. I think we just say goodbye. It's been real. Hey, Brian, thanks. Thank you. Bye.